0: Hello and welcome to The Drabblecast, episode 90. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Is something missing in your life? (laughs) Be honest with yourself. Is it The Drabblecast? Do you find yourself pissed off that you only get to bask in the holy, blessed light of the Drabblecast once a week? Do you wish that you could continuously thrash around in thick, meaty clumps of Drabblecast like some squalid, writhing worm, every second of every day, immersed in sullied, brackish fluids of festering flash fiction? Do you wish that you could carry the Drabblecast around with you, always? Like a throbbing, swollen cyst distending from your neck. Drawing stares and sympathy from people who just don't understand your heaving, conjoined bundle of infection. Or the wondrous prenatal glow on your face. Well now, you can do all that. Because we have Drabblecast t-shirts. That's right. Confuse your friends or distract your enemies. Bring about a higher level of authenticity to your area's Drabblecast live action role playing club. This holiday season, why not give the gift of direct advertising to your loved ones? Thanks, Daddy. What is it? Why, Timmy, it's a Drabblecast t shirt. Ooh, what's the Drabblecast? Well, son, it's Santa's favorite podcast. Really? Can I listen? Absolutely not. I know what you're probably thinking. But Norm, what will all this unfettered ecstasy cost me? Surely more than I can manage. What, with the economy and the skyrocketing price of shellfish? Maybe I should just look on eBay for a used one. Well, listen, folks, don't be fooled by all those other podcasts out there selling drabblecast t-shirts at absurd retail prices. You see, We cut out the middleman so that now there's no random man standing in the way between you and us. With a suggested donation of just $13.62 plus shipping and handling, you too can swaddle your immaculately conceived demigod in 100% cotton this Yuletide season. What? deal is this? (sighs) One too good to pass up, that's what. Why stay silent another night? Show your creepy, cult-like fanaticism for the Drabblecast by freezing your ass off this winter in a short-sleeved t-shirt that has our logo on it. It also has a pretty funny design on the front, made by our resident graphic artist Bo Kyer of Super Animal Deathmatch acclaim. If you'd like to see this shirt and find out how to order one, hit our discussion forums, a link to which is at drabblecast.org. There you'll see a section called Drabble Art, with t-shirts in it. You can get one through check, PayPal, or credit card. Well, I came across a little something this week that I think all lovers and critics of audio fiction will enjoy. Get ready for Drabble News. kind of thought it was okay, but you weren't really blown away by it. Come to think of it, you're actually pretty indifferent, unmoved, but not entirely displeased altogether. You're completely and utterly unconcerned and unmotivated to say much more about it than "Mm, meh. The expression of indifference or boredom has recently gained a place in the Collins English Dictionary. Publisher HarperCollins announced Monday that the word had been chosen from terms suggested by the public for inclusion in the dictionary's 30th anniversary edition, to be published next year. The origins of the word meh are murky, but the term grew in popularity after being used in a 2001 episode of The Simpsons, in which Homer suggests a day trip to his children Bart and Lisa. They both just reply meh and keep watching TV, said Cormac McKean, head of content at Collins Dictionaries. The dictionary defines the word meh as an expression of indifference or boredom, or an adjective meaning mediocre or boring. A few examples given by the dictionary include The Canadian election was kind of meh. Canadian people and their boring culture are totally meh. meh. And when I think about anything having to do with Canada, I can't help but say the word meh, meh. The dictionary's compiler said the word originated in North America, spread through the Internet, and was now entering British-spoken English. Internet forums, chat, and email are playing a big part in formalizing the spellings of vocal interjections like these, McKean said. A couple other examples would be hmm, he. Heh, 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 and ow. Uh, uh, The word meh was selected by Collins after it asked people to submit words they used in conversation, but that weren't in the dictionary. Other suggestions included jargonaut, a fan of jargon, frenemy, an enemy disguised as a friend, huggles, a hybrid of hugs and snuggles, and chlamydia dactyl, a promiscuous winged dinosaur that thinks it could never happen to him. So now you know for your next Scrabble game, meh is a real word. Whether you like it or not, really interested, but listlessly resigned to it. Well, on to today's show. First, we've got a hundred-word Drabble story for you by Matthew Bay called Train Dreams. Matthew's been featured here on the Drabblecast before in episode 58, Eggs, the story with the infamous dissolving cat. Drabble! Distant booms wake the townsfolk in the night. It's just trains coupling, they say. They return to sleep, dreaming of the baby trains to come. Narrow-gauge larvae frolicking in the rail yards. But less fortunate are the products of miscegenation between maglevs and trolleys. These scandalous offspring are banished from the switching house and sold into slavery, spending their childhood pulling tourists around carnivals. They suffer indignities until the day they secrete a pupil shell around a side track. Snug in their cocoon, they metamorphize and sleep until they emerge to the continental railways. They dream of hurtling unsignaled through crossings. Our feature story this week is called Far, Far Away by Frank Key. Frank is an English writer of lopsided fiction. His website at hootingyard.org has over a thousand stories, bagatelles, musings, and stretches of majestic sweeping prose. This story is from his 2007 book, Unspeakable Desolation Pouring Down from the Stars. You can find that at his website, which is chock full of other weird, awesome stuff. So without further ado, Far, Far Away... By Frank Key. Far, far away, there is a galaxy of shattered stars. Stars crumpled and curdled and destitute. And there is a planet tucked in among these sorry stars, a tiny pink planet of gas and water and thick foliage. And tucked in among the fronds and creepers and enormous leaves of this foliage lie millions of unhatched eggs. And when they hatch, they will hatch millions of magnetic, mute, blind love monkeys Crew member of the starship corrugated cardboard, heading implacably through deep space towards the galaxy of crumpled stars. Seven years into the voyage, only four of us remain from the original manifest of twenty. There is my captain, oh my captain, Pillbrow, a hirsute raving martinet. We have tied him with cords and confined him to a cupboard, where he has become impossibly dangerous. His spittle is sulfurous. It burns that which it touches, and as he raves, he spits, and he is never not raving. Not anymore. Ever since we passed through the belt of... No. Pilbrow Pillbrow seems no longer human. Being the science officer, I tried to study him at first, Wearing big protective gloves, I transferred flecks of his spittle into my alembic and ignited my Bunsen burners and peered intently at Pilbrow's burning spittle, hoping to learn something. I learned nothing. We have traveled far, far beyond the belt of... And still I have learned nothing. Thus the binding with cords, and thus the cupboard... Also surviving is Pilbrow 2, a half sized version of my captain. Oh, my captain! Made of cardboard, wax, and string, and animated with life by sparks of something akin to, but not quite, electricity. Pilbrow 2 is indubitably alive, a pulsating, rustling, thinking, breathing thing, but it has nothing in common with the raving martinet tied by cords in the cupboard. At the beginning of the voyage, we considered changing its name. We even spent a few days calling it un or anti pillbrow, but neither of these caught on. Possibly because Pilbrow 2 would boom, my name is Pilbrow 2, in its deafening voice. Our cardboard, wax, and string crewmate has been invaluable in keeping our spirits up. I do not think we would still be heading for the galaxy of crumpled and destitute stars, and for the tiny pink planet, if it were not for his... Her? Its determination. Lumpen would have us turn back, I am sure of it. Lumpen is the other survivor. He has been morose and sullen since we ran out of breakfast cereal two years ago, after missing the supply depot on the planet of grocery provisions on Epsilon 6, where we were due to collect a consignment of Kellogg's fruit and fiber. He keeps to his bunk now, head buried in a metal-backed copy of Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand, his pipe clenched in his teeth, the fumes of his untreated Serbian tobacco hanging in the pseudo-air of the cabin. At least, it kills the flies. The bullet-riddled corpses of our dead crewmates, all sixteen of them, are coffined up, the coffins stacked as a makeshift ping-pong table. We cleared a space in the cargo hold by jettisoning some crates of irrelevant rubbish we were meant to be delivering to one of the outlying mini-planets of Hubbard World. (laughs) There'll be hell to pay if we ever get home but home seems so far away now, so far, far away. Pillbrow, too, is a superb ping-pong player, never letting its bat get caught in its string, but I am better. We have played thousands of games over the years, and I have won nearly all of them, sometimes without losing a point. Because it has no heart, Pilbrow, too, is not disheartened and comes to every match with the same valiant perkiness that keeps us plunging even further through space towards the galaxy of shattered stars. One afternoon. After a particularly grueling ping pong match, Pilbrow 2 confessed to me what kept it going, what kept it tweaking the boosters to increase our speed, even at the cost of sending the starship into judders which popped some of the bolts in the pseudo air seals. It was filled with a burning lust for the as yet unhatched, magnetic, mute, blind love monkeys patiently awaiting birth on the tiny pink planet. This was the first I'd heard of them. I became confused and flung question after question at the half-sized cardboard, wax, and string simulacrum of my captain. Oh, my captain. But it answered none of them. Instead... It showed me pages of twee love poetry it had been writing, and led me to a corner of the cargo hold where it had hidden a stash of love tokens. Mostly things made out of some kind of tin, flowers and lockets and brooches, finicky bitty bobs it was going to bestow upon the magnetic, mute, blind love monkeys. Once they were born... When I protested that there were supposedly millions of these monkeys, Pilbrow too explained to me with a winsome sigh that its love knew no bounds, and nor did its lust. For when it had been programmed back in the lab that gave it life, a stray spark had imbued it with a superabundance of love, lust, and ping-pong perkiness. I wondered whether to share these revelations with Lumpen. But what would be the use? Patting Pillbrow 2 on its cardboard head, I picked up my ping pong bat and challenged it to another game. And we played, and played, and played, as my captain, oh my captain. Pilbrow raved and spat and struggled with his binding cords in his cupboard. We played as Lumpen smoked his pipe and read Anne Rand for the thousandth time. We played as the starship corrugated cardboard hurtled inexorably through space towards the galaxy of stars shattered and stars crumpled, stars curdled and stars destitute. Wherein nestled the tiny pink planet of gas and water and thick foliage. Wherein nestled millions of unhatched eggs. Wherein nestled millions of unhatched magnetic mute blind love monkeys. Awaiting their unlikely Romeo. A cardboard wax and string simulacrum of my captain. Oh my captain. Called Pillbrow 2. Bearing Poetry and love tokens far, far, away. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. We don't usually feature stories like that, with such deep Freudian subtext and rich religious undertones, but occasionally we change things up a little bit. How about some story feedback? Several weeks ago, we ran episode 86, Half-Sneeze Johnny by Kurt Kirchmeier. No mehs on this one. In fact, it got nothing but praise from everyone who posted in our discussion forums. A first, if my memory serves me right. G.E. Lee said, Very cool. Very atmospheric. Great use of first-person narration. Perfect for this kind of story. Harvey Keitel could play the narrator in the short film version, with Steve Buscemi playing Half-Sneeze Johnny. The reading acting was great, as usual. Sound effects were dead on as well. Kehama said, Half-Sneeze Johnny was fantabulous. The reading really brought the character to life, and it felt like there was a lot of story crammed into a little chunk of time. It wasn't among the more odd and bizarre stories the Drabocast has offered, seeing as how all the characters were human, experienced relatively normal body functions, and were actually alive, but it definitely was enjoyable, nonetheless. Kevin Anderson said, "That was a tall, cool, refreshing glass of awesome." I'm loving these themed episodes, and the Drabblecast has yet again fully explored one more bodily function. That's true. There's not many left, I guess. I think we'll probably hit them all after our Christmas special. Well, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons Attribution, Non-commercial, No Derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can give it away for free to anyone you like. Anne Rand would not approve. If you enjoy the show, you can leave a comment on our website, www.drabblecast.org, or you can join our discussion forums and get to know the other Weird Fans. Or if you really want to make our magnetic mute love monkeys hatch, you can donate to us via the PayPal button on our website, so we keep doing what we do. Our staff is made up of co-editors, Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, we're out of cereal. The evening saunters to closing the waitress turns chairs upside down. Piano player picks up his tip jar and drink. And the bartender shouts last round. <laughs> An hour ago this place was loaded.